It is so great to connect and celebrate today together. If you know me and you've talked to me at all, you know that one of the things I am the most passionate about is transformation stories. I can't get enough of them. I love hearing a good transformation story. If you've got a story of a business that was like down on its last luck and it turns around at the last second, I love that. Or those old homes that get redone on HGTV, I'm all over that. Any of those things, and I love personal stories. Um, I love hearing people's stories, so if I haven't met you yet, I'm going to ask you about yours when we do meet. And I love to cheer for underdogs. I love when sporting games are happening, and I want to cheer for the one that nobody thinks is going to win, because when he, they win, it's so sweet, isn't it? And I was thinking that this love for transformation stories probably came somewhere from my childhood because my mom read so many books with me, and Little Women and Anne of Green Gables and all these childhood heroes probably changed my life. But then I was thinking about what, you know, in transformation stories the kids here would know. And um, what about Captain America? Does everybody know Captain America? I had to get a little educated for my kids on this, but Steve Rogers was so weak when he volunteered to go fight in World War II, they turned him down. And then he got really strong and he went on to save the universe. It's the universe. And I think that's awesome. And then Peter Parker, Spider-Man, right? Just an average, well, he's not an average teenager. That was what I was told. He's very smart, but teenager, no lessons on how to be a superhero taught himself. I think that's awesome. One of my personal favorites is Rey from Star Wars. She literally was picking up trash on the side of the road, and then she went on to save the galaxy, and no one saw that coming. You talk about an underdog. And then a personal childhood favorite of mine was Cinderella, because she was in rags, basically almost enslaved, with no parents, and then the prince fell in love with her and married her. She became a princess, and I think that's special. So what is your favorite transformation stories? Are they ones that you know? Are they personally? Is it something you've lived? Is it a favorite story, um, a movie, a TV show? Transformation's happening everywhere. And so today, while we talk, think about your favorite ones. It's happening all the time. Every moment that passes, something is transforming. It's either transforming into something better, right? Or something worse. And so as human beings, we have the same choice. We're either transforming into something great or transforming into something worse. And there's public transformations, right? Where these are things we all see. We can see a butterfly transform from a moth to the cocoon, whatever, a caterpillar to a cocoon, not a moth, but you know what I'm saying. And then it becomes a pretty butterfly. Or you can see plants grow, right? Just like we can see ourselves age. We have birthdays or big life moments that happen that we can, we celebrate, right? We celebrate transformation. And then there's private transformation that happens. These ones, very few people get to see, right? Only, if you're lucky, you're invited into someone's story and you see their transformation. And that's things like relationships that change, right? Sometimes we get closer or further apart from parents or siblings or spouses or friendships, and you can see those ebb and flow over time. And sometimes there's personal character things that change. Or maybe somebody has a personal goal and you get to walk alongside them while they do it. And the sweetest part of transformation for me 
is when I get invited to a front row seat from somebody and I get to watch them. Because when you watch somebody have their eye on a goal and intensely work daily to get there, and you see them want to give up, and you go, no, 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 you can do it, and, you, and they reach it, is that not so sweet? And when nobody else knows those moments, except for a few of you, that is the sweetest celebration, right? And so today, um, I was thinking about how we're all in different transformation stories here. And one of the things that makes transformation hard is when you know the goal, you know what you want it to look like, but you have no idea how to get there. And if we sit in that long enough, without hope, sometimes it gets really hard to see. And the path looks really like there's no path. It's invisible. And anytime somebody else comes along to offer you help, it almost falls flat. Because you're like, that's, I know what I'm looking for, and it's this. And you just don't know the steps to get there. And so their offer is, it's not bad, but it doesn't ring true to your heart, right? And, and you know what I'm talking about? It's like being trapped in the desert and really needing a ride out of there and someone hands you a water bottle. And it's like, it's helpful because we need the water bottle, but it's not what we're looking for. And I was thinking about one of my favorite stories today um, in the Bible. So if you have your Bible, turn to John 4 with me. Because this woman had a, I think that she knew what she wished her life looked like, but her circumstances were very different. And she didn't really know how to get out of them. And so I thought we could jump into this story today and talk through it a bit. So in John 4, verse 3, it says, He left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well it was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Okay, let's unpack for a sec. Okay, so Galilee and Judea, they are directly north and south of each other. So I brought a map because I thought it would be helpful. They are, it's a direct line, north and south. However, what lies between them is Samaria. And so in this time, it was not such a simple direct route. The Jews would literally go on the hooked arrow that you see on the right there. And it was an extra six days of walking to avoid being in Samaria. Isn't that crazy? And, and that's because of the conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. And just to give a brief overview of that, um, because there's so much you could really say, it's like... The Assyrians had come in, the Assyrians have taken over, this is like 722 BC, I think, and, and they exiled a whole bunch of the inhabitants of Samaria, but the ones that were left intermarried with the Assyrians, and they were no longer Hebrew or Gentile, and so the Jews had an issue with them, with the Samaritans, and so did the Assyrians, so the Samaritans were really just a, a hated people group, they worshipped God a little bit differently, their Bible was a little bit different, and so they just didn't really fit in anywhere. So walking through there, you can tell how much the Jews didn't like them because the Jews didn't even want to walk past through to get from one place to another. And, but Jesus, so when Jesus says there in verse 4 that he had to go, he didn't have to. 
He actually could have gone around because that's what they did every time. But he went. He had an urgency. He was compelled to go there for some reason. And it's hot. And you guys can all relate. It's really hot. And so it's, he, John gives us so many good details here because, because of what he says, we know a lot of what's going on. It's noon. People don't go to the well at noon. And women never go alone. Women go in the early morning together in groups. It's social hour. Um, and so she's coming by herself. And it's not just any woman. It's a Samaritan woman. And Jacob's well is outside of town. And so when they get there, you know, Jesus sits down to rest. And this woman walks up. Well, I guess the disciples had left already at this point. They've left. This woman walks up. And so we know it's odd. We know it's odd. We can tell because of these details. We know it's noon. The woman should not be there. But she's there, and she just wants to get water. She literally is walking through the hottest part of the day just to get water, and she wants to go home. That's all she wants. And the disciples had left her, left um, him, left Jesus there. And I like to think that that word, they had gone, actually means they had departed from him. And I like to think that they were probably thinking, this is the fastest way for us to eat. We're going to stick him here outside of town. He wants to rest anyway, and we can go into town without Jesus because everywhere they went, people crowded around Jesus. So if you're hangry, you're waiting till the crowds of, and, and Jesus is interruptible. He has all the time, right? So they're thinking, okay, he's not going to get in trouble. We'll leave him here, and we can get our food and get back on the road. And I think that might have been the intention. I will ask them when I see them one day. Um, but we all know what that's like, though, to travel with somebody where we just want to be not seen. And you know what I'm talking about when I say that. And so then this woman walks up, and Jesus talks to her. And it's like a cultural disaster that's about to take place. Let's, um, both the disciples have urgency to get on the road. Jesus has urgency to be there. He came there for a reason. He came there, he was compelled to come there with her. And because teaching's always on his mind. And let's jump right into verse 9, um, oh, where um, he's asked for a drink. And this woman replies to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, For Jews do not associate with women, with uh, Samaritans. And this or women, because we also forgot to cover that too. Women and men didn't talk at this time in public unless you were maybe husband-wife, but most of the time in public, they did not address women. So there's a lot of things happening here. We got a Jewish man talking to a woman at a well, but not just any woman, it's a Samaritan woman. And she's t calling him out on that. She's frustrated. She just wants to get her water, and she's like, why are you talking to me? And Jesus answers her, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, she said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and, drank, and as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this well, the water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. 
Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water. I love this because she is putting Jesus in her place, his place. She's trying at least. She doesn't want to talk to him. She wants to get in and go home. And he has interrupted her. And he's making these offers to her because he came there for her. But she doesn't understand that. She doesn't see that. She is the reason he is there. And so all the offers he's making, they're falling flat to her. They're not what she really wants, right? She, living water sounds great, but that's not really going to change my situation right now. All that does is make it so I don't have to come here and get water anymore. She's taking what he's saying, his figurative language there, she's taking it literally. And literally what... Figuratively, what Jesus is saying, he's using this phrase, living water, which means an artisan stream that flows from within. And so it was being taken literally by her, and she's like, so you're saying I'm going to have water flowing from within me? That's, but that's what he's saying. He's literally telling her, you could have access to water all day long. You never have to get dehydrated, and you can tap into it whenever you need this living water. He's saying... We can tap into his peace, his joy, his truth all day long. It's just with us. It goes with us wherever we go. And she's almost mocking him in her response in verse 15, I feel like. Yeah, give, it to, give that to me. That would be great. That would really help me out. And when we have responses like that to help, I think those are signs that we need a transformation in our thinking because... We, we just can't see the big picture. In verse 16, though, Jesus replies to her. He's going to try one more time. He says, go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. Verse 17, I don't have a husband, she answered. Can't you just see her slumping her shoulders when she says that? I can just see it. And you have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not, that you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. He's trying to get her attention so badly. And so his last attempt is to speak to the greatest pain in her life. You can't have five husbands and not have a story. I'm sure there's a big story there. There could be, maybe she's barren. Maybe she's widowed. And there could be a greater issue there. I don't know. But... There's a story, and the now all of a sudden, her being alone makes sense, right? Because she's isolated at the well, she came by herself. Why did she come by herself? Because she probably doesn't want to be around the other women. Because if you're barren, you don't want to hear the other women talking about their kids. And if you're a widow, you don't want to hear people talking about their husbands. And that's what shame does. Shame is tricky. Shame and unworthiness and these, all these feelings, they isolate us. They trick us into thinking that we're better off on our own. We, don't, we shouldn't be around others. And that, when we listen and we allow shame to run our life, it controls our thinking. And so that's what's happening here. She can't even comprehend that this man would come here for her yet. That doesn't make sense. And, and yet... She also can't comprehend probably why this man spoke her truth out loud. But see, when we speak truth out loud, the chains start to fall off, right? So if we live in truth, we're able, you know, that's where freedom is found. 
And so in verse 19, she replies to him. She says, sir, the woman replied, I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. I love this. She's not evading him. She's saying, okay, you got me. Clearly you know more than I think you do. Clearly you know about me. And verse 20, it is a cry for help. It is her saying, okay, I hear you. I hear you telling me what the truth is and what I need to do. How do I get life? That's what she's asking. She's saying, the Jews tell me one thing, and the Samaritans, are, my people are telling me this way. This is where we go to cleanse ourselves, is literally what she's saying. We, you Jews have one way, we have another. And she's saying, how do I find God? And Jesus comes back and answers her question there. In verse 21, he says, Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Wow. I just love that. I love his answer. You know, because they're alone at this well, Jesus speaking truth to her isn't bringing her any additional humiliation or shame because he is so gentle. So he's able to share these really profound things with her, and it's just them. And he's telling her, hey, you've been misled. It's not going to this mountain that you need to do. This is what is going to happen. Something's going to happen. And suddenly, our bodies are going to be the temples because all these symbols of worship are going to be destroyed. And he, of all the things that Jesus could tell her, Jesus is saying, this is the type of worshiper the Father is seeking. And he's giving her a chance to become that. It's one thing to say, oh, God wants you to be this way. But seeking has so much more intentionality in that word, right? He's looking for an alignment of the heart and the mind. That's what God's saying there. And, and we were created, our innermost being, what makes us us the most is our soul. We have our own spirit within us. And he is saying that God desires, the spirit of God desires to connect with the spirit that's within us. And he's not saying corporate worship like we're doing here on Sunday. That's great. But he's talking about living water like every day. Every day, the, the God wants to connect with the innermost part of you. And when we worship in that way, when we connect with him, because this worship word is more how we live, when we're connecting like that, that has to do, that has to be truthful. It has to be in alignment. We can't say one thing and lie to our soul. You can't do that. So to worship God in this manner, she's, it's almost like, like, you can't keep him at arm's length. You can't shut anything off from him. I was thinking about worshiping God and connecting in this manner, and I thought about my youngest son, Jesse. He is such a hoot. And he watched this show. He watched, he watched something on YouTube and came to me and John, and my husband John, and he tells us, I saw this new thing these kids created. They took two cans, and they put a string between it. 
and they could talk. And so my husband is amazing because I am not the crafty one, and he made it for him. And Jesse plays with this all over our house. And, but the hard part is we have to, like, he's, he's on the landing and he's stretching, but the string cannot touch anything because if the string touches something, the message gets garbled. So you can be as far as you want apart, but if that string touches something, you can't hear it. And we have walkie-talkies, which we've offered, believe me. And, but walkie-talkies have limits too, right? You get into certain rooms and they don't work or you get too far away. That's not what God's talking about. But I think so many of us pick up a tin can to talk and then we're feeling like the message is garbled, but really there's a disconnect in our soul. And if we had that in alignment, we wouldn't feel so far away. He wants us to worship at his feet. He wants, he's within us. And so it's a much closer connection. I don't even need to open my mouth to connect with the spirit of God. And we all have one thing in our life like this woman did. Her, he didn't just, you know, he spoke to the greatest pain in her life, but we all have one of those right now that we're working through. And he wants us to open our hearts to that one thing and be healed. He doesn't want us to have pain in our life. He doesn't want us to live feeling that way every day. And I love what happens here next. After she listens to everything, in verse 25, the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. She knew. Do you get that? She knew the Messiah was coming before she met Jesus. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. I love that. This is the first time in his ministry that he announces himself like this. And it was to a Samaritan woman. So he came, it reminds me of him coming in, being born in a stable, right? It's similar. He picked a Samaritan woman to reveal himself to first. And then in verse 27, just then the disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? And then the woman left her water jar, went into the town, and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Wow. I love this because the disciples, they're living and walking really close with Jesus. And something so cool happens that I'm sure most of you know when we walk with Jesus, we start to get these spirit nudges and urgency things that pop into our mind like, I should text that person, or I should pray for them, or I should reach out, or I should shut my mouth right now. And there, that's discernment of the Spirit, and it's so neat because called people are compelled to do things, and that's what we see the disciples doing. They've walked into this, and they've thought the same thing the Samaritan woman did. This is a disaster. Why are they talking? And yet they were quiet because they're watching this transformation unfold. It doesn't quite say exactly when they arrived. I don't know if they caught that he said that he was the Messiah, but they definitely saw her run off. And she runs off saying, come meet the man who told me everything I ever did. But he didn't tell her everything he ever, she ever did, did he? He told her one thing, but it was the greatest pain in her life at that moment. Because when Jesus calls out and heals the one thing, we have so much more room in our life and our heart to do more, and we feel healed. 
You feel free from everything else. Jesus knew this woman was going to totally be his evangelist. That's why he chose her. He knew she was going to run off and do this and bring an audience to her feet, his feet. But her transformation is what's so powerful here. She went from being at the well alone to now going to the, back to the town and telling everybody. She was avoiding them all at the beginning, and now she wants to be with them all and tell them. And her circumstances did not change at the well. See, everything that was back there in town and sicker is still there. But she changed. There's a word called countenance, which means face, your mood, your emotions, your heart. And that is what we're talking about being transformed. Not circumstances. That's what changed. But have you ever seen somebody when they've just accomplished something so great and you see their face and it radiates? That's what we're talking about here. And she felt so free, she left one of the most important things to her at his feet. She forgot about it. And I think there's a lesson there too, that when we leave the things we value the most at the Lord's feet, that's where the biggest pain in our life we start to just feel free. We feel lighter. In verse 39, it says, Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said since we've heard for ourselves and known this is really the savior of the world. Wow, don't miss that. That's her testimony, her transformation testimony. She brought Jesus an audience of a town at his feet from what he did in her life. And I think that it's important for everybody to know that Jesus wants to travel through Samaria for you. So whatever the conflict or disaster you feel like might be in your life, he's willing to walk through it and walk with you in it. And if you don't know what the end outcome should be, he wants to help you. He wants to heal you. He desires to restore you. He chose you. Just like he chose this woman, this broken Samaritan woman, to be his first voice to humanity, that he is the Savior and Messiah that came to save the world. He doesn't want any of us to live with that one thing that keeps us bound. So I go back to my original question. What's your favorite transformation story? What do you want your story to be? Yesterday, I went to a funeral for a 90-year-old man, and it was so um, surprisingly powerful for me. Not, I don't say surprising, but... I'm used to going to funerals and hearing about all the great things people did, but what I was most surprised at this service was that this man at 90 had expanded his ministry a hundredfold in the last 15 years of his life, in a time when everybody starts to slow down. He sped it up. He put the gas on, and he continued to reach and connect with people and pour into them. It didn't stop, and he had a powerful life. He'd been following Jesus since he was eight, and this man had done so many things, including serving as a pastor at one point. And, but the gas went on for all the people in his life in the last 10 to 15 years of his life, and it was powerful to hear what he did. And I thought, I want that. 
I want that transformation story. I don't want to walk with Jesus and not change. I want to walk with Jesus and be changed. I want my children to see that. I want them to know that change is possible at any age, that we can always change. And I hope and expect that if I, every decade I walk with Jesus, that more of his grace and love and mercy and goodness flows out of me than ever before. Your story matters so much. And your details and circumstances matter too. But if we focus on changing everything and everyone, we're going to be empty. That's not the path. The path is allowing God to change you. He wants to bring an audience to his feet with your life. This woman believed in the Messiah long before she met Jesus. And her life wasn't changed. Believing is not enough. We, believing, thinking, it's not enough. We have to do. We have to allow God to do the hard work to renew us. We have to not hold him at arm's length and pick up tin cans to talk to him. We have to connect within our innermost being with him because that's what he desires. When people are transformed in one area of their life, just one, it's often a catalyst for so many more. So ask the Lord today as you're worshiping, what am I holding on to? We all have one thing today. There is one thing, and that's part of life. He reveals the one. We, we resolve it. We move on. He reveals another. That's part of walking with him, right? That's how we get refined. And so ask God today as you're worshiping, what is the one thing? illuminate that one thing for me, Lord. And then let's run towards it with everything we've got so we can be free. Amen.